Great. Hi, everyone. My name is Danny Fenves. I'm the founder of Upper Line Code. We're an organization dedicated to training the next generation of computer science leaders and empowering students to change their world with code. Oftentimes when we idealize learning in classrooms and other spaces, we overlook a critical element. How do we support the educators in the room to rise to these occasions? In the case of computer science especially, it's tough when the discipline doesn't feel like home turf. Upperline Code has a mission to train the next generation of computer science leaders and empower students to change their world with code. When their founder, Danny Fenves, told me about the uptick in applications for their teacher fellowship during COVID, I was really intrigued. Something about COVID gave a lot of educators the room to go after personal growth goals that they hadn't been able to under typical circumstances. I was curious to hear about Maha and Jorge's journey, these two. Oh, hi, my name is Maha Hassan. I am a AP computer science and math teacher at Fordham High School for the Arts in the Bronx. I am also an upper line fellow um, and a very, very excited advocate for computer science for all. My name is Jorge Torres. Uh, I am in my third year teaching high school chemistry and physics at Kip, uh, NYC College Prep High School in the South Bronx. I am also a fellow for Upper Line Code, and I've been really excited to kind of take on a new subject and also uh, learn what it takes to, you know, kill it in the world of computer science teaching. And learn more about this fellowship to better understand what it felt like for educators to be given freedom to expand their practice and skills, and what teachers felt that it offered their students. Was it better than what the federal studies, I'll link in the show notes, that say that teacher PD has no effect on student outcomes? We don't have hard data to answer that question in this episode, but a testimonial of sorts to let you hear for yourself what an experience like Upper Line meant to the teachers who participated. You be the judge. Would you rather your child's teachers be doing what Maha and Jorge have or sitting through an hours long recitation of someone's PowerPoint slides or a software training run by salespeople? I'll bet they'll make you a believer. Make sure you stick around to hear the story of where the episode title comes from. It's a treat. Before we get going, get on facebook.com slash no such thing podcast. Please fill out the listener survey. Also, wherever you downloaded this show, like, rate, review the show. It's the best contribution you can make to what it is we do. Thanks. This is No Such Thing, a podcast about learning in the digital age. I'm Mark Lesser. What's going on? How is school going? You guys are like two thirds of the way through. It's been a rough year. Uh, <laughs> it's been like very, very long days in front of a computer, but we are officially, I don't know about you, Jorge, I know you said you're going back once a week, um, but we are like going back in full full force on Monday. The students will be joining us. Um, I mean, only the ones that we can have safely in the building, but it'll be interesting to teach 10 kids in person while simultaneously teaching 24 kids on Zoom. Um, the 24 on Zoom, are they opting out? Uh, is that is that it? Like they could come in? Yes. But- well, not really. My classroom can only um, host 10 students safely. And so we just magically have around 10 to 12 students who opted in. But I, I teach classes of about 34 students. So that means that 24 are on Zoom and the class period is the same time. So... It's fun. I'm excited. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we're doing like um like learning pods. So we've been assigned it's two teachers and ten students, and then 
instructional assistant, super helpful. And we're spread out across three rooms. Um, I don't teach all of the kids that are in my pod, but they all take the classes that I teach. So they all are in physics. Um, my partner is someone who teaches AP U.S. history, and they all take AP U.S. history as well. So even if it's not their, their direct teacher, they get some support. But I'm still teaching Zoom class, um, even though I'm in the building. Uh, there happens to be four kids that are in my class. So when I teach, I'm like in a room with them and I'm like, don't get on the Nearpod, like just write it in your notebook and I can like check your notebook. And it's amazing. Like instant, instant feedback. I didn't think I'd ever miss this so much, but like, this is incredible. Um, and it's, that's been the big plus side. It's like, it's actually been really nice seeing the kids and um, getting to interact with them again. But yeah, this year's a whole sucked. It's been so bad. <laughs> when the little win is I can check your notebook, then you know that there's been a lot of losses. And, wow. No joke. I want to start with, um, first of all, thank you all for doing this. I'm really excited to talk about everybody's shared experience with Upperline. And more broadly, you all are, are experts in a space right now that everybody is trying to figure out and um, experts in the sense that you as teachers have gone through something at upper line that most teachers have not. Um, a lot of teachers are curious about, want to know like, how would I even make this um, happen for myself? Um, Daniel, you're, uh, I, I'm sure having been working on it for so long, it doesn't feel like um, you're in a new space necessarily, but most of the world, you know, most of certainly our country is still not getting high quality computer science education. Um, so you are in, you, you are a pioneer. Um, you're doing something that not enough people are doing. Um, Mahan and Jorge same. Um, so I'm really excited to talk to you just about, uh, I think, I think sometimes when you've been talking about a thing in the bubble of folks who have been talking about the thing, it feels like, well, you know, computer science for all, like we did that, right? Like everybody's getting computer science education. Um, and people just don't realize that, that no, actually we're very much still at the beginning of this, uh, story. And, um, anyway, so I think this episode is a great reminder for everybody of kind of where we are in this, uh, in the arc of um, bringing young people, bringing teachers into computer science in the way that they need to, and and um, and what this all what this all means. Most importantly, because I think it means more than than people um, necessarily get a sense for when we just talk about it in the context of more kids getting computer science education, which is great. But I think a lot of people like who are old like me think like, well, you know, more kids in computer class, um, you know, like, yeah, that's good, but they don't realize how consequential it is actually for the future of everything, the economy, uh, humanity, the arts, all of these things are, are impacted by um, how young people see themselves or don't in the context of um, code. And so anyway, I'm preaching to the choir, but um, I wanted to start, Daniel, with just tell me about the origin story for Upperline. And we're going to talk today really specifically about the fellowship, but um, I want people to know about, um, about 
how you sort of came to this journey in the first place and um you know what was what was maybe tell us a little story about um diving in fully for the first time like what was the first experience you had at upper line when it became a nonprofit and you realized okay i'm i'm on this journey um so what led up to that and then what was the what was the moment you realized i'm on a brand new journey here yeah wonderful um so thanks again mark for you know for having me on the show um uh, how did this get started? So uh, a little bit about me. Um, before starting Upperline, I was, when I graduated from college, I became a teacher um, and uh, taught middle school math and science in New Orleans uh, for a couple of years. Fell in love with teaching and um, also, uh, you know, that was my first exposure to a lot of the inequalities that we face in education in this country today. Um, I grew up abroad. I grew up in Venezuela. I had a very privileged upbringing, went to international schools, um, had had some computer science, not a lot. Um, and, and teaching in New Orleans was uh, really an eye-opening experience. Um, I, uh, I fell in love with teaching. And at the same time, I had a, a hard experience there uh, in, po you know, the post-Katrina recovery school district. My Both schools that I worked in got shut down. I don't know if that's a causation correlation situation <laughs> with me being there. I doubt it. Um, but uh, eventually, I, I actually moved out to the Bay Area and um, got a job at Google working uh, on the YouTube policy team. Mm. Um, and that's, that's a whole other story, but um, that's the team that has to figure out what to do with flagged content on YouTube. Um, but what I realized while I was there at, at, um, at Google was that the folks who are making the big decisions are the engineers. The folks who have the power at tech companies are the people who can actually write the code that makes everything happen. And I was not one of those people. I, I had not ever taken a formal computer science course. Um, but it, that was also eye-opening in the sense that, you know, who are the people who are making these decisions? Who are these? Who are the people who are um, writing the code at places like Google? And as we all know, uh, that uh, population is predominantly white and male, um, and was very different from the population that I was working with in New Orleans. Um, and so that um, sort of started me down this path of thinking about tech and education and um, getting me really excited to teach code. So long story short, um, I ended up uh, going through a boot camp myself. I went to the Flatiron School, had a great experience there, um, and helped them start up their own K-12 programs, which eventually morphed into Upper Lion, kind of spun out of, of the Flatiron School. So um, we... Uh, initially started by doing sort of your traditional summer camp. It was a day camp. We had parents paying tuition for their kids to come um, and take our courses. There were two or four week long courses we were teaching and we still are teaching uh, app development. We were teaching iOS development at the time. Um, really practical skills where uh, we could get the students to feel super empowered and excited about code and what they could build. 
Um, that has morphed a lot over the past few uh, years into working a lot more with nonprofit organizations, with companies that have um, uh, social good uh, arms, if you will, and um, with with foundations, just with organizations that want to bring excellent computer science education uh, to uh, generally to New York City public school students. Those are the students that we work with the most these days. So, um, so it's important to make the distinction, right? Because I, I feel like folks who are a, a just one step outside of the bubble of computer science education conflate all of there. Are, there are um, lots of organizations in this space and um, folks are like, oh, um, you know, they must all you know, be doing this through platform, you know, like, is, is this all about, um, ed tech or is this all about, um, you know, teacher training, like give, give us yeah. a sense of where upper line, cause, and it's important, um, right for, for a nonprofit, certainly to sort of take a, a stance early on because the, the method has a lot to do with the operation and the infrastructure. So, um, how does Upperline position itself in the context of all the stuff that's going on? Yeah, absolutely. And two things. So the first is uh, we're not a nonprofit. We are um, a social enterprise. Uh, and um, and that's just a, a model that we have tested out that has worked. Um, and there are, I think there's a lot of space in this world to do experimentation with different models. No doubt. Yeah. Um, that uh, and then to your but to your second question, it's it's interesting. I would say we're less ed tech and more tech ed um, in the sense that um, and Maha and Jorge could probably attest to this. We place a huge emphasis on making sure that we have incredible teachers in the classroom with students. So it's not that we're just, you know, handing students uh, a platform and having them go a- go through asynchronously and learn content. Um, there's a place for that, but that's not what we do. So, um, and this is really where the fellowship comes in is in our courses, we'll have anywhere from 15 to 20 students pre pandemic. It was in person. Now it's on zoom. Um, and we'll have two teachers and a teaching assistant in the room or in the zoom room with them, uh, giving them direct instruction and then supporting them through labs, through projects, through building their applications. So, I, I, again, I think this field is broad enough that there's a, it's great that there's a lot of asynchronous resources and platforms out there, but my philosophy has always been, when it comes to computer science, it's great to have a sense of community in the classroom, um, and that's what the teacher is there for, and great to build that trust with students. And the, the, the instructor is really facilitating that, um, that feeling. Yeah. And I would, I would imagine that, that there's lots of inspiration from the Flatiron school, um, you know, which I will, I will link to in the show notes and, and we don't, we don't have to get deep into today, but people should check out the Flatiron school as a, one of, um, the sort of category of models that's out there. That's really important. If you're interested in the conversation around computer science, computer science education, workforce development, 
uh, higher education and where diplomas of the future are going to come from or credentials of the future, um, any of those things, you should check out the Flatiron School. Um, so one of the things that's changed this year and part of the, the catalyst for this conversation was um, – this the fellowship. Uh, I understood from you that you've had unprecedented amount of interest in the fellowship. Um, tell us about the fellowship and tell us what you're learning about why this year has been so different around um, applications and and just level of interest. Yes, um, I'll take a step back and just tell you a little bit about our summer programs in general to Great. start. Yeah. So every summer. Uh, we teach about a thousand students for the past six years. We've been doing this, but it's really ramped up recently. Um, and we teach the students in courses that are anywhere from one week long crash courses in JavaScript or Python to four weeks intensives where they're building, they're doing full stack web development and they're using MongoDB and they're connecting to AP, students are connecting to APIs and they're really building out um, full applications. And so in order to teach a thousand students a summer, we have to build out a great team of teachers. So every summer we bring on somewhere around 40 to 50 instructors and about half of the instructors that we bring, we're bringing them on because they're motivated and excited to learn to code and to teach code, but they may or may not actually have any computer science experience mm -hmm. already. So folks like Maha and Jorge are a perfect example of this. Um, so we created this fellowship program because we think it's important to expand the pool of computer science teachers that exist out there. Um, we couldn't find great, uh, um, our, the pool of computer science teachers uh, in New York is uh, still relatively small. And um, it, it felt like a great way to train new teachers, expand our pool. Um, and also part of the fellowship is that these teachers then can go back to their schools and they are ready to teach an introductory computer science course. Um, and they can use all of the materials that they've used over the summer with us. So um, this year, I don't know, I think it's because of the pandemic, but we uh, we had about 20 spots in our fellowship, had over 200 applications. Wow. Um, and uh, and it was uh, it's sad to me because there were so many teachers that I wish we could have given more spaces to. But, um, you know, that that's on me. I need to find we need to find more uh, partners to to teach classes with that and have more students. It's incredible. So so um, Maha, you're. You are um, – I'm really excited to talk to you and Jorge about this experience that you had. Uh, but just sort of rolling rolling back, let's rewind to a couple of years ago. You are um, teaching in the South Bronx. You're at a school that's 71% female. Um, you know – is it fair to say you know nothing to Zero. very little <laughs> – about computer science. like a big zero amount of computer science so i'm i'm interested in um two two things about the experience before the fellowship one is what were you noticing as a teacher that really made you 
excited about like I need to do that. I need to um I need to level up my skills so that I can teach this. So A, what were you noticing that really made you um eager? Two, um what was it like prior to finding the fellowship? Like I'm interested to just give people a sense of like what's it like if you're a teacher in a in the biggest district um looking for computer science education or or continuing education um what was that like yeah sure so i'll take us back i guess three years ago so three years ago i was in my second year of teaching um, and i was just teaching strictly math classes um, and we happened to be in like this year of school where we had lost our computer science teacher the year prior and so we had to cut our computer science program you know like if we don't have that one teacher who knows computer science then we can't have a computer science program at all. Um, the one thing I think I prided myself the most in terms of my students was like building these relationships with students and building the community in my classroom. And so while I love teaching math, it hurt my heart that students were asking me like, do you think you can teach us computer science? And my answer was like, no, like mm. <laughs> not me. Like I can't right now with the skills that I have. And then as more and more students started to like request this or ask about it, I decided, okay, maybe I can do this. Um, and so I remember this really clearly, actually, because it was a pivotal moment in my career. But I had my mid-year conference with administration. And I said, hi, I don't know any computer science, but I want to bring something up. Like, I really want to teach AP computer science next year. And they were so supportive. I mean, they were like, sure, you can do it. And I walked out and immediately felt so much anxiousness. Like, what did I just get myself into? Mm. Because I know this is part of my program now. Um, and so I started having a little bit of a meltdown. And a friend of mine who knew people at Upperline was like, you should apply to this program. It is an incredibly great program. You don't have to have any coding experience. They'll teach you how to code. And then you'll teach with them over the summer. And through that kind of dynamic, you'll be prepared to teach um, in the fall semester. And so I gave it a shot. You know, I applied to the program. I got in, thankfully. Um, I did the pre-work, that boot camp work, and I felt what it was like to be a student for the first time learning computer science. And it was like very daunting to do alone. Um, and so kind of to, to echo what Danny says, like it's not meant to be like an all online isolated experience. Part of the really great thing about Upperline is like their mission is twofold, right? And we heard Danny say this, they want to educate teachers in computer science and in turn increase access to computer science to everyone. And so in that process, in that boot camp, like before we even got to the summer, I'm able to set up calls with faculty at that upper line, right? And get help on the coding assignments and the boot camp work um, and just like slowly build my confidence in computer science. And so now you know, I, I taught with Upperline last summer. I taught with them the year before. I'll most likely teach with them this summer. Um, and so now just like looking at how my career has changed, right? We have offered computer science. This is my second year teaching it. We are starting an actual computer science program, like track at my school, because times are changing and student interest is increasing in this space. Um, and so Upperline really did have that like huge change in my life. It was a very pivotal moment in my career, this decision to join upper line and change what's going on at my school. So I'm That's very amazing. thankful for the fellowship. That's awesome. And I'm, I'm psyched for your, your, um, 
administrators that they were as supportive as they were and psyched to just get you there. Um, not that it's the end of the road, like, you know, a first experience is a first experience, but um, it's so important that as educators, we have, you know, you have what um, what resources, you know, Daniel might have at Google to expand his knowledge, uh, level up his skills, continue growing as a professional. It's uh, good on them and, and no doubt um, so many Talented administrators fall in that same category of like, yes, pursue pursue what you need. Unfortunately, you hear um, you hear both sides of that. Um, Jorge, before I hear, hear your story, the thing I just want to call out is what I think is so cool about this fellowship model is that I hear all the time because in my day job, we're talking a lot about uh, workforce development and a lot of folks who are really interested in models that, um, you know, um, that are thinking about how you hear the term pipeline a lot. I almost feel like a little gross uh, perpetuating um, that language, but um, you hear things like pipeline a lot. And um, what I hear a lot and read a lot is like the U.S. is really bad lately about apprenticeship. Um, and what I think is so cool about the upper line model is that it is, um, this is work-based learning. Like you have teachers coming in, getting to actually do what they do well. Um, but in a context where they're also skilling up in a way that is really authentic and, uh, is useful to the social enterprise. It's useful to them. It's like, it, it really could not be a more, um, perfect characterization of of what we talk about when we talk about mid you know early and mid career apprenticeship like this is um what a lot of people think is is the future um and i i would argue that it's yeah. it's a brilliant uh it, if that is the future um i'm definitely in um go ahead danny yeah i, I mean i i was just gonna expand i think you're right and just for your listeners to give a sense of what the fellowship actually entails. Um, uh, basically, we've broken it down into three parts. So the first is pre-work. We give, once the, once the teachers are hired, we give them around 60 to 100 hours of online asynchronous uh, technical pre-work. The goal there is to get them to 80% on the technical side of things. Um, before they ever step foot in a classroom or in a training with us. Um, that's basically getting everyone to to a certain technical level. And they're doing that um, asynchronously, but not in isolation. So, so we have, like Maha said, uh, we have coaches and we have um, other the other fellows going through at the same time, supporting each other, getting through the content. So that's the first section is a pre-work. Second part is a one-week pedagogy boot camp that takes place at the start of the summer. So now we are assuming that all of the instructors have done significant portion of the pre-work. They come in, and rather than start from scratch, start from Hello World with them, we can focus a lot more on what is it, uh, how, do you, how do you teach code? Not how do you code, but how do you teach it? What, is, um, what are the, the nuances of this discipline? that are different from say teaching math or teaching biology or chemistry. And that boot camp 
is it, it's intense. It's nine to five every day for a week. Um, and the core of it is um, teach backs, is having uh, pairing our, our instructors up and everyone gets a piece of the curriculum that they have to teach to everyone else. And there's, so, so there's a certain amount of vulnerability there in that, you know, it's, it may be your first time ever teaching a computer science lesson, but part of what I think is really exciting about what we've built at Upperline is that there's a lot of trust and support and everyone gives it their best shot. Um, and it's like, uh, um, you know, when you when you make pancakes, the first pancake always comes out weird. Yeah. <laughs> when when you know when you get to do that first lesson in front of a, a group of peers, you get the nerves out of the way, and then by the time you get to go into the classroom, which is part three, you feel a little bit more confident, um, and you've seen a you've seen the entire curriculum taught by your peers. You've gotten some new ideas, um, and and that's really powerful. So the last section is actually teaching. We pair up our teachers, generally someone with more CS experience with one of our fellows. And so they're getting continual mentorship and support even as they're teaching with us for four to six weeks over the summer. So I just wanted to give that context um, you know, before we, we go on. Jorge, I wanna ask you about, um, about your experience. Same question uh, as Maha, like, what was the moment for you where you thought, um, I really want to teach this. Um, I want to, I want to level up to this. And, and what was it like trying to figure out how to go about doing that? So I think that my first exposure to like computer science is just like a subject. I took AP computer science in high school. Um, so my senior year, I was like, I got to figure out what I want to do with my life. Uh, so I took a whole bunch of electives and I decided to take an organic chemistry elective and I decided to take uh, AP computer science and to see like at the end of the year, which one I liked the most organic chemistry was awesome. Loved it. Did really, really well in it. AP computer science uh, finished with a D plus. Uh, my <laughs> teacher like told me on prom night, like congrats, you like skated by with like a passing grade, but like barely, barely, barely. And I'm like, cool. Awesome. Um, so, you know, flash forward to like, five or six years from then I start to actually get a chance to teach and I uh, get to start interacting with freshmen that are assigned to me as an advisory. Um, and these freshmen are basically like, I'm going to follow them the four years that they're in school. And we do a whole bunch of like different um, question and answer sessions and like, just like workshops and stuff like that. And one of them I remember was like, what do you want to do when you grow up? It was a big one. And I think that like, kids like you're you're taught especially the kids that i teach right it's like black and brown students in the south bronx like you're taught like how do you make it how do you make it in life it's like make a whole bunch of money what's the job that's gonna make you a whole bunch of money you've got doctor lawyer so like everyone wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer doctors and lawyers they're dope those are also very very long careers and you know as someone who went through a lot of those classes myself like they can be really 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 intense and so it began, I began to think about like, what other options are out there for my students to like pursue careers that will give them those choiceful lives that they really, really want. Um, and at, around the same time, um, one of my coworkers who teaches computer science at our school um, had been talking to me a little bit about, uh, she had heard about Upperline. And so she was like, you know, I'm really curious about it. I feel like um, you might get a lot out of it, especially since you've already expressed interest in like learning uh, how to code for yourself and for your students. So it was definitely like, um, like two sided, like 
I wanted to learn for the students and like kind of give them a little bit of fresh perspective. I also wanted to like know for myself as an adult, could I actually learn this? And like, could I relearn it from like now that I'm a little more mature and like a little more studious and a little more committed to like actually picking a new skill up? Um, and so I, I got really lucky in that like immediately I knew the upper line was a thing and I uh, submitted my application. And um, yeah, from the beginning of it all, I was like just blown away by how supportive the program was. And um, I always came back to the idea of like, the story, right? Like our kids see us as teachers and they think like, oh my God, like you're the expert, you're the master. Like you must've killed it in school and done so well. <laughs> and like, I'm like, like, yeah, for chemistry, like that was the case. Like, sure. I felt really comfortable and confident, but for computer science, like I was really bad at it. I really struggled with this and that's okay because I still managed to pick things up. I still managed to learn. I still managed to code out this project and like take a look at this website that I helped design and like all of this was happening, even though I wasn't an expert. And I think that's also one of the things that I've loved about picking up computer science in this last year and a half is that like you don't have to be an expert to do something cool. And like it's actually actively encouraged to like continue to learn um, because there's just so much out there. Like you cannot ever be a master. Um, there's new things happening every day and you're like constantly, constantly acquiring new skills. What did Jorge for you? What did the um, fellowship change for you as a professional, um, you know, maybe specifically about your practice, but, but maybe just at a higher level, like about how you saw coming to work. I think that, um, similar to what Maha said, it's been so long since I've been a student and like that, like stress of like having to acquire new content, like, yes, I can be told, I can tell students a million times, like, Hey, just ask for help. Like I'm here, I'm available. And I got the same messaging when I was like going through this program, like, hey, ask for help. I'm available. And I'm sitting there and it's like March 31st, um, middle of the pandemic. We're all freaking out. And I'm like, I cannot understand how to code this. I don't understand. I just want to shut down and quit it all. And it was at that moment that a lot of uh, a lot of the instructors, like the more senior instructors in the faculty were like just like frequently reaching out and like making a really concerted effort to like be there and be actively engaged in my learning. Um, and like, that's been a huge takeaway for me too, right? Is that like, yes, I can, I can talk the talk in my classroom all the time, right? I can say like, Hey, like I'm here, I'm available, et cetera. But when it gets really, really bad, am I willing to walk that walk? And am I willing to like sit down with a kid and like hop on a zoom call for 20 minutes and just really walk them through? Because sometimes you're just so shut down and knocked down from like whatever struggle you've been going through with the material or whatever's going on, honestly, in the outside world that like, even that offer to like help isn't enough. Like you need someone to really just grab you and tell you like, Hey, it's going to be okay. Um, but like, this is where we're going to start and this is where we're going to end and we're going to figure out a way to get there. Yeah. And I think that that's been super helpful, especially in this like online learning space that we're currently in where like kids kind of disappear off the radar for a little bit. Um, and like being super active and like bringing them back has been beneficial and like keeping a classroom alive, even though we're all so far away. Yeah. So do you guys have, um, you mentioned like, you know, uh, young people seeing doctors and lawyers as a model who, who have you like through, through now you guys are both, I think you're both teaching AP computer science. No. I'm, I'm currently not teaching a computer science course at my school. Okay. So, um, who, who are you now, um, Maha? bringing into the context of your 
teaching that fills out the sort of spectrum of um, who young people have to to sort of think about emulating or or just like get excited about um, professionally? So I, I think just based off the population of students I teach, right? I teach a lot of young women, um, students who are non-binary, black and brown children, right? Like just based off where I teach, who have not had access to this work, right? And that's just the unfortunate reality of it. And that was the same case for me growing up, right? Like I just never had access to CS. And it is like so incredible to see after just one class last year, like we gave a survey in the beginning of the year, like, can you see yourself studying computer science in college? Can you see yourself being a computer scientist? And students were like, I don't know, maybe I don't even know what that is. And at the end of the year, right, like students are now already in college on track for a major in computer science. Students are actively applying to these Google programs, applying to upper line, right? And students are like actively trying to make sure that there's a space for them in these programs because now they've had exposure. Um, and I think just like, I mean, we know the data, right? We know that if students take one computer science class before college, right, they're more than, I don't even know the number, but they're so likely to major in computer science. Um, and I think that's the really, really scary issue is that if students don't have exposure to it before college, it's kind of like, almost like you miss your mark for in a way, right? Like I never heard of computer science before college. I didn't even think it was a major or something I could take in college, um, even as a math major, right? Like I was in STEM, <laughs> fully in STEM, but never heard of it. Um, and so now students are very much seeing themselves in this space in real world, right? They're asking what it means to be a data scientist, what it means to be a data analyst, how can I be a web designer? Mm. Um, and so just by showing them like the different products that they can produce, and tying it to their identity and the things that they want to change, um, they're now like more motivated to do the work. We ask students a lot to think about when you look out into the world, what's something that you're dissatisfied with, right? And then like, okay, cool, build an app to fix it, <laughs> build something to fix it. Um, and it's just a one way to get students to, to kind of change what, what's in their locus of control um, using these wonderful skills that we teach them through CS. Um, but as Danny knows from upper line, right? The one thing we ask students with upper line is like, just build something you're proud of. We don't care if it's the best app in the app store, right? We don't care if it's the best website we've ever seen. We just want students to leave having created something that they're really, really proud of. Um, and I think just that sort of mentality makes them think like a career in computer science is a career in building stuff that you're super proud of, which is really exciting. Can you tell me a story about a student who built something that we're super proud of this year? Yeah, let me think. <laughs> so I have a lot of students um, in the fall semester. It was the first app that they had to create in computer science. And it was a really basic app, right? A lot of event handlers, um, a lot of just those introductory tools of computer science and JavaScript being used. Um, and I asked them the question, right? Like, what's something that you're currently dealing with um, that you wish you could change. And obviously the overwhelming majority of students said COVID, right? Like being stuck at home, isolated from my friends. And the real reality is this is like a mental health issue, right? Mm. Like we are here at a crisis of students alone at home. Um, and so we had a couple of students actually who created apps to like, what should I do when I'm home alone and I'm bored? 
Um, or what should I do when I'm feeling down because I haven't seen my friend in months or haven't seen anybody in months because I'm terrified to walk outside my door. Um, and even though it was just an app to like give you options for what to do, students were really excited about it because when they presented it to their peers and their classmates, everybody in the Zoom call was like, please share me the link to your app. Like, I need this. I need advice. Um, whether it's a quote generator, pick, pick up lines or <laughs> lines that you want to just help get you excited and happy, um, or whether it's like, here are some hobbies that you can take on, or here are some best, I don't know, best activities that you can do to get your mind and body all aligned. Um, all of these different components, like what we term SEL activities, mm. right? Like our students are creating them and putting them into an app that they design and feel really out of. Mm. Um, so it's really nice to see that. So, so, so SEL, for those who who are um, not on planet education right now, uh, is social, <laughs> social emotional learning, right? Um, yeah. And I want, I actually wanted to ask both of you just about, um, a, about a re- something very related, which is um, one of the conversations du jour, and, you know, I, in the last hundred years, but, um, but especially uh, as we're having these conversations about how to build stronger um, pathways to um, to prosperous early careers and and those kinds of things, um, the premium that's been placed around interdisciplinary learning and being able to sort of um, switch or into better better. Um, better said, um, integrate uh, and infuse content from one sort of area to another. So you just mentioned like SEL and computer science. I just wonder for both of you, because you both teach in different subject areas, um, has computer science, has knowing how to teach computer science changed the degree to which you can teach in an interdisciplinary way? I think that um, computer science for me was, as soon as I started, right, it was all about, like, starting wrong and then kind of ending up right, right? And, like, there is a lot of parallel to, like, how we approach scientific method in chemistry and in physics. Um, But I think that, like, I've really embraced the comfort of, like, being wrong and, like, helping the students be wrong. And, like, being wrong is the first step to being right. Like, that has been my my motto for this last, like, year and a half, whether it's, like, applied to, you know, my classroom or, like, myself learning how to use all these new, like, platforms that, like, n- no one has any idea what's going on or, like, recording a video and stuff like that. Um, so, like, for sure, like, just that mindset shift, I think, has been huge. Um, in terms of, like, the actual raw, like, content knowledge, I think that, like, there's always places that can blend. Um, so, like, one of my favorite projects that I did um, last summer with some of the kids, and I actually got to help them with my chemistry knowledge, uh, they wanted to put together this project on, like, how many slaps does it take to cook a chicken? Which I thought was an absolutely hilarious, like, so, like, we're sitting there and, like, going through laws of thermodynamics and, like, doing all of this math on the back end. And, like, there's one kid who's, like, working on all the, you know, HTML, CSS. And, like, that to me was just, like, just an amazing, like, marriage of all of this knowledge that, like, the kids brought forth and I brought forth. And, like, they remember from their classes. And I don't know. It just made me so happy to see, like, so many different aspects of their learning just applied in one, like, beautiful little weird website that, like, they presented and we're so, so proud of. How many what now? 
how many slaps does it take to cook a chicken? Slaps um, like... Yeah, like actual slaps. So, like, in theory, a slap transfers thermal energy, and then thermal energy should be able to cook something. Um, it was such a such a strange three days with those kids, man. Like, I loved it. So much fun. And, like, they really just went – it was my favorite project uh, of that, like, summer program 100%. Can I title this episode How Many Slaps to Cook a Chicken? Definitely. I think we found the, the winning title. What? That's amazing. Um, I, I adore that in so many ways. I can't even, I can't even tell you. Um, I, I recently with, with a developer on my team, um, we needed to, it had been a while since I, um, messed around with code and every once in a while I like to just like take on a project because it's nice to kind of dip back in. And, um, I was never by any means, a uh, coder of any skill um but i do like to to sort of tinker and i went on um uh to glitch which i'm guessing you guys are are messing around with um and i'll leave a link in the in the notes but um i went on to glitch and i was uh we were looking for as a team i have like a 11 11 person team and we were looking for a, a generator that would help us create combinations for like uh to pair off and i went in with one of our developers and and was showing him glitch and we just like retooled a generator that was in glitch to to do this thing and and it was like it was so fun and so exciting and i was so wrong on so many parts of my code that that my um my coworker john helped me help me work through um but man it was so fun What's really neat um, to think about is I don't know that I have necessarily – maybe I have and I've forgotten it, but um, thought about the gain, the social-emotional learning gains that one makes when you're learning CS. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure that's a conversation – uh, folks are having who are teaching it regularly, but but that's such a neat realization for me because I really hadn't been thinking about SEL growth in that way. Um, I think it's huge. Um, you know, one of the things that we talk about with our students a lot is learning computer science is hard and learning hard things in an environment where you don't feel uh, comfort or you don't, or you feel like you're gonna get judged by your peers, it's gonna make it that much harder. And, uh, and so we do a lot of really silly, I mean, I'm not surprised that there was a chicken slapping cooking uh, <laughs> app coming out of for his class, um, but we do a lot of silly stuff. We, do, we play a lot of improv games, uh, we do a lot of energizers, um, and it's a lot of silly stuff for, but for a very serious reason, right? Like you need to do that to set the foundation early that, uh, it's okay to take risks and it's okay to make mistakes. And, um, you know, like Jorge says, uh, you, when you're coding, the error is the default, like it's broken by default. Mm -hmm. And so you have to learn to live inside of that, that breakage constantly and that's uncomfortable so how do we make that a little bit more comfortable for our students yeah i'm curious if you guys think a lot um mahan and jorge do you do you guys think a lot about what the stakes are for t for you guys skilling up in the way that you have have you thought a lot about like what the stakes are of you having made the decision to do this and now bringing it to your schools 
mean, I, <laughs> I think it's so, so important. Um, like I think the stakes have never been higher. Uh, and I, <laughs> I don't know, I can't even say it without laughing because it is so incredibly important that our students have access to computer science and yes, I know that there's a huge push for like K through 12 CS access, but I also think it's not, it can't end that access, right? Like I think it really has to be a quality education. And I think through programs like Upperline, right, that really value this process of learning computer science and this collaborative environment where you feel really silly and you feel really like... I don't know. I felt like a child every summer I'm at upper line, right? Like I feel like I am back in like middle school, like being a duck and being a chicken and being like all of these weird figures and all of our improv games. And it just makes you really value the environment. Um, and I think being able to foster that environment is like super, super important because the stakes are so high. Um, and that in turn changes the way that you teach, right? Like the way that you teach everything, of course, but it also specifically teaches, changes the way that you teach a topic like computer science that has kicked so many people out, right? There are so many people who have are not invited into the space that don't see people that look like them in the space. And so being able to, to teach this specifically at my school is incredibly important to me. And it's why I'm pushing for like a CS track because now that I have AP computer science in play, now I know it's not enough, right? And now I know I need to go back and learn more myself so that I can teach other computer science classes and so that I can try and get other teachers and pull them into this field with me because I, I think times are really changing and we don't really need, we don't have to put the same emphasis on like math and science or traditional math and science classes that we did before when computer science should be on the same playing field and it's just seen as an elective right now. Right. Says says a math teacher, which is mm -hmm. um, is just important to note. How about you, Jorge? Well, I also think it's the pieces like developing educated citizens, right? Like this is so like just pervasive in like our everyday lives, right? And it's only going to get more and more involved. Like I have code on my wrist. I have code in my pocket. I wake up to code. I fall asleep to code. So like 10, 20 years from now, when the kids that we're teaching are like lawmakers and like, you know, just like people that really have push and pull in our society, mm. like I, I want them to be able to walk into rooms understanding like this technology that exists and like they have access to like, what is the what is the story behind it? Like, how did it get there? Because I feel like a lot a lot of times, frankly, like a lot of our current politicians like just have zero clue as to what's going on. And so like. I'd love for, you know, 35 year old like Javon, who I teach now to be able to like step up and be like, hey, like this, I have some like background knowledge on this and mm. I'm willing to bring it to the table um, to help everyone make an informed decision. Yeah, that's so interesting that you pick government as, um, you know, just like I don't know if that was random, but um, as an area that um, needs some some background training in uh, how algorithm works. Um, but I, I couldn't agree more. And I think uh, some of the episodes I have coming up this spring, especially on um, things like the the ethics around um, AI, um, prove, you know, just sort of bear out that, that point that you just made. Um, it's so powerful. Uh, we're running out of time, but I want to give you a chance to um, 
plug away. Um, if you, if are there things that people should go and look for either um, folks who are interested in upper line, folks who want to support CS education. Um, do you guys have um, uh, donors choose accounts you want me to uh, to plug any any of these things um, let's let's use a moment to make sure we draw people's attention if they hear this and are like man I want to support this or man I want to get involved first of all go to our website check out upperlinecode.com and take a look at what we're doing um, like I said before we had a crazy number of applications for the fellowship this year and my goal is to try to increase the number of teachers that we can support every year. And the way that that happens is by finding mission aligned organizations who have students um, or who have money that they want to spend to support students learning to code. Yeah. So, um, you know, my plug is uh, help us help us hire more great teachers by by building more of these programs. Awesome. Maha, Jorge, anything you want to put out there? You are at all interested in learning computer science and teaching it. A hundred percent join Upper Line Code. Look into the fellowship program. It will quite literally change your life. It was a transformative experience. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that like, I want to believe that like 25 year old me was able to do it because like I'm so much better than I was at 17. But I think a huge part of it is just the amount of support and like, just like aid that like people are willing to lend to you to help you reach the goal of like becoming a really excellent computer science teacher. Awesome. Maha, Jorge, uh, Daniel, thank you so much for doing this. I'm, I'm uh, excited to have this conversation and, and give more folks a sense of what's going on uh, with the fellowship and, um, and the amazing work of teachers um, bringing it to the Bronx. Thanks so much, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. For more info about advertising with us, sponsoring the show, or if you have story ideas you want to share, find me on Twitter at M.A. Lesser. My thanks to No Such Thing production intern, the fabulous Margot Seaton. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in episode zero hailing from the Bronx, New York, and engineer of style and fresh beats. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. No Such Thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser a learner like you and our show notes can be found at no such thing podcast.org.